Thank you. Please help me welcome Mr. Bob. Lily, that was so wonderful. Thank you so much for blessing us. I don't know how Google does it, but you, know, you ever have it where they post up memories like so-and-so? This past week, Lily showed up with another couple of the Children's Fellowship kids from like five or six years ago. And here she is singing for us. That is just great. So blessed. So blessed. Well, this morning, I'm excited to share with you about the final 40 days. And it's about the 40 days of Jesus Christ's ministry after the resurrection, something that's not looked at all that often. So on April 4th, we were all here together, and we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But the resurrection was not the end of the story. Jesus remained on earth, teaching and appearing to his disciples for a full 40 days before he then physically ascended to sit at God's right hand in heaven. Then, of course, 10 days after the ascension, we have the day of Pentecost, which we're going to be celebrating next Sunday. The ascension, because it's 40 days after the resurrection, is always on a Thursday. So this past Thursday, we marked the ascension of Jesus Christ from the dead. I say marked, but ignored would probably be nearer the mark. Uh, the, as the ascension itself, and the events that occurred between the resurrection and the ascension uh, are not very well understood or not often thought about. But they were an integral ending to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ in preparation for what you and I get to enjoy today. Now the ascension, the event itself, is described in two of the four Gospels. It is also described in great detail in the first chapter of the book of Acts and is referred to in many other places as well. It was the final event of Jesus' earthly ministry before he sat down at God's right hand. And we see this in Mark chapter 16. It says, this is at the end of this 40 days, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, his disciples, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That is the exclamation point at the close of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, that God brought him to heaven to sit at his right hand. At God's right hand, Jesus sits in the position of greatest authority and power in God's kingdom. And Jesus sat at the Father's right hand when his ministry on earth had been complete and fulfilled. The question arises, after the resurrection, after the cross, after the resurrection, what needed to still be done that required 40 more days of ministry by the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did we need these extra 40 days and then a following 10 before the church came into existence on Pentecost? Many of you are aware that from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Why another 40 days when he said it is finished? Well, you have to understand the context of his statement from the cross. When he said it is finished, he was referring to paying the ransom for our salvation. 
it did not mean that Christ had nothing further to do for eternity. Often Christians don't know what to make of Jesus now. We focus on the cross. We focus on the empty tomb. Two good things. But we don't think about the throne that he sits on today at God's right hand and what he is doing from that throne for us, for the church. From this throne, Jesus Christ continues the work of building his church. His church composed of those who have chosen to believe that he is their Messiah. And Jesus foretold this in the Gospel of Matthew, that he would continue throughout time to build his church. You see, this church and no church on earth is based on the pastors who serve it. The church is built on Jesus Christ. And he is the one, it's built on him, he is the foundation, and he is also the master builder who continues building the church. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus is speaking, and he said, I tell you, you are Peter. Now, some of you might be familiar. The word Peter, the Greek word is Petros, and it means a stone, like a rock you might have in your garden, okay? That's what Petros is. And on this rock, I will build my church. The word rock, the second word rock, is not the word for stone. It is the word that we would use to describe a cliff face, something like the rock of Gibraltar. Jesus Christ is the rock of Gibraltar upon which he continues to build his church. That's why the church cannot be moved, because we're built on such a firm foundation. Christ had, after his resurrection, and still has to this very day, things to do for his church. And what he was doing in preparation for and in building his church started with the time he spent on earth after the resurrection. Nothing in our redemption remained to be done. It was complete. It was finished from the cross. But Christ had to set the stage for the coming of Christianity and the fullness of the new birth, which is what Willie sang to us about this morning. God also had more promises that he would fulfill. He had more information that he would reveal because as many of you are aware, the church, the Christian church that you and I are a part of today was a secret. God told no one about what he was really planning with the Messiah. Now, the promise of the Messiah started in Genesis chapter 3, and more and more was unfolded throughout the Old Testament. But the idea of a new people made from both Jews and Gentiles with a unique family relationship to God, that was a secret that God kept. Jesus had to begin to prepare people to live out that secret, which is what we're doing to today. The preparation for this time actually started before the cross. Jesus was talking about some of these things prophetically throughout his ministry. And it continued right up until the moment he was taken into heaven. And, you know, you think about, I guess Jessica could look this up, but we have lots of songs about the cross, lots of songs about the resurrection, lots of songs about the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't, I've only heard one song about the ascension. And it was a, it was a, somewhat, it was a fun song. It was a tongue-in-cheek song. Good, good brother in Christ, Cliff Edelman, wrote a song called Sandals in the Sky about Jesus going up. It's the only song I've ever heard about the ascension. That's how little this event is 
recognized. But that event, the ascension, as we're going to see in a moment, that was when Jesus Christ was fully glorified and exalted when he went to the right hand of the Father. Now, a central part of what Jesus had to prepare people for during this time was the coming of the Holy Spirit. They had to be prepared for this because nothing like it had ever been available before. Prophets had the Spirit upon them from time to time throughout the Old Testament, but the Spirit born within every man and woman, no context for that. So Jesus had to prepare people for it. And we see this in John chapter 16. This is the night before he was arrested, or the night that he was arrested, I should say. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, But now I am going to him who sent me, the Father, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. They did not anticipate the crucifixion. Even though Jesus had told them about it, they didn't connect crucifixion, resurrection, going back to the, going to the Father. None of these things made any sense to them. So when Jesus talked about going, they immediately were sad. But he said, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Sending out the gift of Holy Spirit is part of what Jesus does from the right hand of God for the church today. And receiving the Holy Spirit is what makes you a part of the church. So that's one big way Jesus builds his church. He pours out the Holy Spirit that makes you a member of that church. What still remained after the resurrection was for God to send the gift of Holy Spirit. Jesus is preparing us to represent him. In the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus prepared the disciples to receive the helper, the comforter, the gift of Holy Spirit. It was also a time that he gave final instructions to the twelve so that they could go forth as his representatives on the earth, which is what we are still doing to this day. You and I represent Jesus Christ to the world. Now, the apostles had been trained in this somewhat during the gospel period. They lived and walked with Jesus. He gave them jobs to do, go out and heal the sick, raise the dead. But now they're going to be doing this without the safety net of Jesus still there. And he's preparing them for this. And we're ready for this. He gave them instructions so that they could take over as Christ's representatives in the world. We still do that today. That's why he calls us his ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. An ambassador represents his home country. We are re- our passports now read heaven because we're citizens of heaven. And we are not just citizens of heaven. Like I'm a citizen of the United States. I am not the ambassador for the United States to anywhere, but I am a citizen of the United States. You are not only a citizen of heaven, you are an ambassador of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been charged with representing him. That is a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Now, why 40 days? Why 40 days? Why not a week? Jesus could talk fast. Why not a week? Why not five days? Why not 15 days? Well, I cannot give you a full answer to that question. That's a good one for God. Um, 
but I can point out one significant factor that contributes to it, and that is the number 40. In the Bible, numbers have significance, and God embeds that significance within certain numbers that he chooses to use at certain times. The number five stands for grace. The number six represents man. The number eight represents new beginnings. And many, many of the numbers that we, we just routinely use offhandedly, God does not. He uses them with a specific reason when he has some design. Now, the number 40 indicates a time of probation and a time of preparation. Moses was in exile 40 years from Egypt before he went back to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. The children of Israel themselves were 40 years in the wilderness before they then entered the promised land. Jesus Christ was tempted for 40 days while he was preparing for the start of his ministry. And at the conclusion of his earthly ministry, Jesus spent 40 days preparing his disciples for what was coming next. So what did he have to do? Let's look at what Jesus was doing during these 40 days. First and foremost, what Jesus had to do was establish that he was indeed raised from the dead. And God has decreed that if a man or woman is going to be born again, they're going to be saved, they need to believe two things about the mission of the Messiah. They don't need to remember he was born in Bethlehem. They don't need to remember he healed a leper. The two things we need to know and believe to be born again are in Romans 10.9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, the apostles, along with many of the disciples, already believed that Jesus was their Lord. But they had seen him die. They had seen him be buried. What about the resurrection? The Gospels state over and over that the apostles, the disciples, simply didn't get this whole concept of the cross and the empty tomb. They didn't understand. They were so focused on Jesus is going to kick Roman butt that they didn't understand that our salvation required a different kind of Messiah, a Messiah who would die and then be raised from the dead. Today, we have the power of the Holy Spirit that demonstrates that Christ did indeed was indeed raised from the dead. But how about during these 40 days? The power of the Holy Spirit was not yet available. It had not been poured out. These men and women needed to see the risen Christ in order to believe that he had been raised from the dead. And not only did the 12 see him, but many, many others as well. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared unto Cephas. That's another way to say Peter. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. This epistle was written 25 to 30 years after the resurrection. So if you had an event 25 or 30 years ago, I had family members who were at the birth of my daughter Jennifer. 
many of whom are still alive, some of them have fallen asleep. It's 30 years, and that's what he's saying. Then Jesus appeared to James, his brother. Then to all the apostles, again he appears to them, last of all as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared also to the apostle Paul. He says it was untimely because he was a little late to the party. You know, he spent some time persecuting the Christians for a while before he was... uh, before he got born again. So that's why he calls it that. Seeing the risen Christ was important during these 40 days because unless the apostles believed in the resurrection, they would not be born again on Pentecost. Also, the chief priests were already busy with a disinformation campaign saying that, no, he didn't raise from the dead. His disciples stole his body. We think fake news is so modern. It was, it was governmentally orchestrated fake news. And the, but the apostles needed to see the risen Christ. Jesus Christ was going to personally set the record straight. His body wasn't stolen. It was given new and spiritual life. And he showed his apostles and disciples so that they could be born again when the time came on the day of Pentecost. Now, the resurrection was not only proclaimed to the apostles and disciples who welcomed the news. There was another group of people that Jesus showed himself alive after the resurrection who were not at all happy that he was alive again. And we read about them in 1 Peter chapter 3. These are all things that were, were occurring during these 40 days. So 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That is the purpose of Jesus Christ's ministry right there, to bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in or by the Spirit. His new body that he has, that we will have also when he returns, was made alive by the Spirit. And in which, in that body made alive by the Spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The evil spirits that caused the devastation of sin that resulted in the flood were imprisoned by God no longer free to walk around creating havoc in the world. They will remain there until the time of final judgment. So they had no way of knowing what went on. What they had tried to do, what these evil spirits had tried to do, was get humanity destroyed. And if they could have gotten humanity destroyed in an unredeemed state, the only destiny of all the people who had lived by that time would have been death. That was their goal. That was the goal of these evil spirits. And God imprisoned them, and they heard nothing more of what was going on on the earth until Jesus himself appeared before them in his resurrection body and showed them that they failed, that he is alive. Now, I don't... I'm not Jesus, so I would have done this a little differently. If I would have shown up to those devils and gone, (laughs) but I'm not Jesus, so I don't think he did that, but that's what I would have done. He showed them that they had failed, and because they had failed, 
we have his success living within us. Now, also, Jesus had to prepare people for the new birth because that was not something that they'd have any context for. No one had been born again. It wasn't even available. To be born of God by the Spirit? Mark gives us a summary of some of the things that Jesus told them throughout these 40 days to prepare them. In Mark 16, 16, it said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And does not believe means refuses to believe. God treats ignorance differently than defiance. So the Pharisees had Jesus before them, and they rejected him as the Messiah, right? That's not going to go down well. Whereas, what about people who have never heard? Well, they haven't rejected Christ, right? They've never heard. You can't reject something you've never heard about. So for those who have never heard of Christ, they will be judged based on the natural, internal understanding of good and evil that God has placed within all humans. You don't have to be a Christian or a Jew to know it's wrong to lie and murder and steal. Why is that? You know, animals don't think that way. If a bigger lion comes over to another lion's kill, it doesn't think anything about taking it away. That's not stealing within the animal kingdom. But humans understand murder, lying, and stealing naturally because God has placed that within them. And that's what they'll be judged by, just so that you understand that God treats ignorance differently than, than rejection. But then verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. They will accompany us. We're believers. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues, something that had never been done before. If they pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. This is sort of like summary of everything Jesus is telling them that's going to be coming during those 40 days. 16 is the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark. The first chapter of Acts also gives us a picture of what Jesus was doing during these 40 days. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, and that first book was the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. It says that he began to do and teach. It doesn't say, I dealt with everything that Jesus taught. End of the story. No, Jesus began to teach during the gospel period. He is still teaching, pouring forth his love, the goodness of God, and his Holy Spirit to this very day. Jesus is not idle, not in the least. He did this until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. We don't know everything he said in those 40 days, but he gave them commands from God many of which I'm sure have been recorded for us in the church epistles, showing us what our benefits and blessings are of being sons of God. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus had said during his ministry, the kingdom of God is before you, speaking of himself, that but now the, the entrance into the kingdom of God has the doors have been flung wide open by the sacrifice of Christ. This is new information that he has to alert the apostles to because they're going to bring that message to the world. See, they're going to bring a different message. The kingdom of God is no longer at hand. The kingdom of God is within us. 
This is a new message. And Jesus is making sure they know that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Now, obviously, during those 40 days he heard it, but throughout the gospel period they heard it as well. For John baptized with water. Of course, many of Jesus' apostles had been disciples of John before Jesus started his ministry. They were well aware of what John did. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Looking back, we know it was ten days. So when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now this is a good, reasonable question for these Jewish men to ask the Messiah. No one knew at this point that God had this idea, this plan of the church that had been hidden. So it was reasonable to assume, okay, you're up now, Jesus. We didn't, I know we were a little dense on the cross, but we know you're up. And are we now going to have the kingdom restored to Israel? They thought that perhaps the time of the last days of judgment and the restoration to Israel would now start. But that was not the case. In verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. Since it is not for us to know, guess what? We don't know it. So all the people during the last 2,000 years who have been setting dates about when Christ is coming back and when the end times are starting, you know how many of them have been wrong? 100%. 100%. Rather than look towards the restoration to Israel, Jesus was pointing them to something in God's plan that they had no idea about, something greater than had ever been imagined. And it's in verse 8. But rather than the restoration to Israel, which you're asking me about, that's what the word but there is. The word but sets things in contrast. They asked him a question. The answer to that question was no. And but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the end of the earth. Now this is interesting. You will be my witnesses. Well, the, the, the apostles had already been witnesses. They had seen everything. They had lived with him. Why couldn't he say, well, remember what you saw and you're my witnesses? But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and then you will be my witnesses. Why is the receiving of the Holy Spirit the principal witness of the resurrection and of Jesus Christ? Because the proof, the power of the Holy Spirit is still available to this very moment. And memories fade. We could say, oh, we have this written in the book. Well, how do you know the apostles didn't just make that up? How do you know that their memories weren't a little foggy about this? People can ask all kinds of questions. You know what? Jesus might not be sitting in here this morning, but Christ lives within me. And I can operate the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a proof that is new every day, that we are never without, so that each new generation has the proof that they can be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus was preparing them for. Everything was now complete of what he was going to do. This is the last thing he tells them before he leaves. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
A cloud took him out of their sight. Everything was now complete. Our Lord had done it all. He had been born the only begotten Son of God. He had lived a sinless life, and he laid that life down for us. Jesus Christ then vindicated him and justified us in the resurrection. And now he sits at God's right hand. Before he left, he pointed the way to what we would have so that now we could enjoy it. Jesus Christ is not in retirement. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords to this very day. Jesus said it would be to our advantage if he went away. Part of that advantage was his sending the Holy Spirit. Another part of the advantage would be that Jesus Christ would have a ministry as the head of the church from the right hand of God. From the position of the right hand of God, Jesus could do far more for us than while he was on earth. The ascension is when Jesus Christ moved from the finished work for our redemption to the continuing work of our redemption as he leads the church. And at the ascension, a prophecy was fulfilled that John revealed in his gospel in John chapter 7. The time of this was the Feast of the Tabernacles. Many of Jesus' greatest teachings occurred at times of the Jewish holy festivals, when the city of Jerusalem would be filled with people who looked to God. And on John 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, what does he mean? What does he mean? The good thing is John explains it to us right after that. This verse 39 is not Jesus speaking. It's John explaining, of course, by revelation. It says in verse 39, Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The cross was not his glory. The cross, it says in Hebrews, was a shame. The resurrection started his glory, but there was more. Before the Spirit could be given, Jesus had to receive his full glory, which he would receive when he sat at the right hand of God. The position of authority, the position of honor, the position of power. Now, at that point, at the ascension, Jesus Christ has now been glorified. And this next Sunday, Garrett is going to be sharing with us about what came next, which was the day of Pentecost. Now at the right hand of God, Jesus has been exalted and glorified above every name that is named. The Spirit has been poured out to all those who believe, And it does its work empowering us and strengthening us and blessing the body of Christ. This power of the Holy Spirit is our continuing witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A witness that cannot be denied. There are four different things that God identifies in the church, in the church age, as signs of the truth of his word and of the resurrection of Christ. 
And these are four signs that help his people believe in his son and the resurrection. They are healings, miracles, speaking in tongues, and prophecy. All are through the Spirit and all are available at any time. But God has designed two of these, speaking in tongues and prophecy, and of course the speaking in tongues is interpreted. He has selected those that can be used anytime the church gathers together so that they can hear from God. It is a sign of the resurrection and it's how we are going to close this morning. So when you think about when you hear these messages from God, the messages themselves are always a blessing, always an edification. But I want you to think about these messages being brought forth when you hear them. They are continuing proof that God is real, His Son has come, and He's been raised from the dead, and all that comes before that. So if you would be blessed to either speak in tongues or prophesy, I'd like you to please stand. I'm going to ask I think Stephen Blacksmith will come around with a microphone so that the people online could hear that. So if you could stand, that'd be great. I'm just going to have a word of prayer, okay? Father, 